0: The United Nations wants to diddle the kids. Not joking. They are floating and have been this idea that consent can be legitimately given at 10 years old for sex, even if the law doesn't define consent that young. But the United Nations' pedophilic fascination with weird sex stuff in children isn't new. It goes back a long, long time, and once you see it, you can't unsee it. The United Nations is working to mainstream sex with minors. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. (laughs) Welcome back to the show today, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you haven't given the show a rating and review, please do that. It helps us so much. It helps more people see the show as we're struggling with strikes and censorship on YouTube. Go to iTunes, Spotify, give us five stars, leave a review, it really helps us so much. Hey, before we jump in to the United Nations weird, pedophilic, kooky obsession with sex and children, we want to thank our sponsor of Unaborted here. That is Every Life Diapers. This is America's pro-life diaper company. Did you guys know? I, I've, I've been telling you this, but like, you gotta, you gotta tell all your friends about that. This is crazy. Every major diaper company in America, all eight of them, either financially support or rhetorically support the abortion industry. Some of them were putting out ads when Roe v. Wade got overturned, offering to pay for their employees to like fly to states where abortion was more accessible to kill their children. That's a uh, weird la la land stuff right there pro-life diaper company every life. The only pro-life diaper company in America. And guess what? They give a portion of their profits back to pro-life ministries like ours at the White Rose Resistance and pregnancy resource centers all around America. Listen, you can't defeat a culture of death by funding a culture of death. If you want to build a culture of life, you've got to fund that culture of life and be a steward of the of the funds God's given you. So you use code Seth10. That's Seth 10. You get 10% off your first order. Let them know that we sent you uh, and you're supporting our ministry and you're funding a culture of life. Promo code Seth10, everylife.com, everylife.com, promo code Seth10. All right. So uh, you might have seen this guys in, in March of this year, March of 2023. And and I didn't address it at the time because we were traveling around the country, and I was I was kind of waiting to see how the abortion industry and the liberal establishment would respond to this. But but this is not the first time we've seen kooky, disturbing, weird stuff like this. But this one was sort of a bombshell, and and of course the mainstream uh, media. Outlets I call them journalistic prostitutes for the culture of death, uh, did very little or anything to cover this. Of course, of course they wouldn't. This was a March 2023 report from the United Nations, okay, garbage, garbage organization, saying that minors can consent to sex. So this was a report by international legal professionals, but backed by, promoted by the United Nations, suggesting that minors may be able to consent to sex. The report, was drafted by 60 members of the International Commission of Jurists and is meant to serve as legal guidance for the United Nations. And this shocking report suggests that adolescence, which listen to this, the UN defines as individuals between 10 and 19 years old. Did you know that? The UN defines the term adolescence. As individuals between ten and nineteen years old, that they may be able to consent to sexual activity. Now, listen. If you're a parent or a grandparent, you know aunt or uncle, niece or nephew, you know you're probably thinking, wait, ten-year-olds? Ten-year-olds? That's that's like definitely still as well. Certainly in males, right? Often in females, but always in males, that's still prepubescent. That's prepuberty, and they're and but they're talking about sexual consent. Not, not just with minors. It's not like we're talking about a 17-year-old like a day before their 18th birthday, right? <laughs> it's like, no, we're actually talking about a 10-year-old. That's how the United Nations defines an adolescent. So they have some principles they put in this report drafted by the International Commission of Jurists serving as legal guidance for the United Nations. Principle 16, and we'll we'll link to the report for you guys, is called consensual sexual conduct, and it states that certain sexual activities may not be criminalized. The United Nations saying these activities may not, should not be criminalized. And principle 14, Um, Of course, further endangers the lives of the unborn and protects anyone who obtains, provides, assists or refers for abortion. So this is this this report was composed of 60 eminent judges and lawyers from all regions of the world the international commission of jurists promotes and says they protect human rights through the rule of law by using their unique legal expertise to develop and strengthen national and international justice systems right so this the, 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 you'll notice that the left always uses the word or phrase human rights be wary anytime like an international body of like thought leaders academics or jurists or leftists use the term human rights. The the left has always used the word rights to get things they really want. So universal healthcare becomes, what do they say? A human right. Abortion, the killing of babies becomes what? A human right. Uh, Racial justice becomes a human right. They just label whatever they want a human right. Okay. So these pedophilic, weirdo, sexually obsessed leftist judges are saying these are the kind of behaviors that should not be criminalized around the world. And it lists several principles intended to provide what they call, quote, a clear, accessible, and operational legal framework and practical legal guidance on human rights, uh, including consensual sexual activities in such contexts as sex outside of marriage, same-sex relationships, adolescent sexual activity, and sex work, which is prostitution. So here's principle 14, okay? On sexual and reproductive health rights, so this is this is their euphemism for abortion and "quote unquote" gender affirming healthcare, right? Which is when you chop off your genitals because you think you're the other gender, or you construct, uh, surgically construct female genitals so the boy can feel like a girl. They call that gender affirming healthcare, or the killing of babies in the womb. They call reproductive healthcare. So before we get to the weird pedophilic sex stuff from the UN, their first stuff is, is on abortion, principle 14. Here's some of the language from this, just so you understand like how committed these international bodies are, like the UN, to a culture of death, to promulgating, celebrating, and, and architecting a culture of death internationally. And that goes back a long time as well. You got IPPF, the International Planned Parenthood Federation, and the UN – which have been in bed together for a long time. So here's what here's what this UN report says. No one may be held criminally liable for exercising their rights to sexual and reproductive health. Okay, so what are they saying? They're saying anyone who obtains an abortion cannot be held criminally liable. Uh, and of course, this comes out, you know, Uh, several months after the overturning of Roe v. Wade. It's very intentional. They say no one may be held criminally liable on the basis that their conduct is alleged to be harmful to their own pregnancy, such as alcohol or drug consumption, or contracting HIV, or transmitting it to the fetus while pregnant, or for their own pregnancy loss, where the person's conduct might also constitute an independent criminal offense- Unrelated to their pregnancy, there must be no additional criminal consequences. So this is, I mean, this is wild, right? Because you talk to pro-choicers in America, and they'll often say that it's wrong for pregnant women to use substances- that will cause harm to the baby, cause harm to the fetus, right? like Tim Poole had this guy on, the Tim Pool, the podcasters, pretty large podcast network. It's hilarious. Had, he said he uses this pro-abortion dude on. And the pro-abortion dude is saying he, he defends abortion through point of birth. It's her body, her choice. And Tim Poole goes, Well, well, what about uh well, what about like meth or like you know, some hard some hard drug substance? Uh, you, do you support pregnant women taking hard drugs while pregnant? And the, the dude, the guest goes, no, that's wrong. And and Tim Pool goes, why? And the guy goes, well, because in that circumstance, she would intentionally be killing the fetus or harming them through through drug substance. (laughs) And Tim Pool goes, wait a second. And the guest realizes that he's given away the whole game. He's given away his entire position. And he goes, oh yeah, I see what you mean. (laughs) It's like wild, right? So like pro choicers are very like renowned. For their like rhetorical slip ups, and the reason I say for this is because reality always reasserts itself in the end, right? Reality does tend to be self evident, so it always reasserts itself, it slaps you in the face, and that, that's why ideology is the greatest enemy of reality, or reality is the greatest enemy of ideology. Most people are common sense realists and, and they're able to recognize when their or others' positions contradict the prevailing narrative and i do the same thing with pro aborts when i say hey do you support a woman getting the illegal anti-nausea medicine called thalidomide which which led to all those thalidomide babies in the late 50s early 60s all those babies born without any arms got rid of pregnancy nausea just Made your baby have no arms? Uh, hey, do you have any problem with that pro Tracer? And they always say yes. And then I say, who are you? It's her body, her her choice. The fetus has no right to her body, anyways. Are you saying that it's that it's it's more wrong? To harm someone than to kill someone because <laughs> they support abortion through point of birth. So you can, the mom can murder the baby. Oh, but she can't harm the baby in a way that will cause the baby to still live but have, not have any arms. It's like the same thing. So the UN here is saying they don't want anyone to be held criminally li- liable for conduct that would be harmful to their own pregnancy, such as alcohol or drug consumption. So, like, while most pro choicers in America, condemn the intentional use of hard substances while pregnant that will harm or kill the fetus. (laughs) The UN saying, no, we don't even want that to happen. And then in New York, with their Reproductive Health Act in uh, 2019, when they lit the One World Trade Center pink, which it should have been red for the blood of babies, that, that law was so extreme in New York, it actually wrote abortion out of the penal code. So if a murderer or homicidal maniac murders a pregnant woman, he'd only be charged with one count of homicide, the mothers, where for the for all of jurisprudence, jurisprudence history, all of the legal history in America, if you murdered a pregnant woman, you were charged with two counts of homicide. So the UN and the abortion industry is trying to twist themselves into political pretzels To write out of the law any recognition of the humanity and personhood of the preborn. The uniqueness that it is a separate human being. Because anything that acknowledges that in the law obviously kind of causes the pro-abortion position to collapse in on itself. So anyways, just to like frame this for you, the UN is working very hard to make sure nothing in international legislation acknowledges that the baby's a baby. They say health providers may not be held criminally liable for conduct such as providing contraception or abortion services. Okay. So so if abortion is made illegal somewhere. and you kill a baby, the UN doesn't want the, the murderer who dissected and disemboweled the baby to be held criminally liable. No one may be held criminally liable for providing assistance to another to help them exercise their rights to sexual and reproductive health. right? So if you drive a woman to the abortion center, or you're referring her for an abortion, uh, they, they want to ensure no one involved in the process of murdering children is held criminally liable. And then it says parents, guardians, or other persons who enable or assist children Or people in their care, including persons with disabilities to exercise their sexual and reproductive rights, including by procuring sexual and reproductive health services, goods or information may not be held criminally liable. So if the parent is taking their minor to go get an abortion or it says, or other persons who enable or assist children or people in their care. So this could be someone who isn't even biologically related to the minor who they're taking to get an abortion or genital mutilation surgery. They don't want anyone to be criminally liable because they don't want the courts to have the power to punish evil and promote the good. So, th- But now listen to this. This is a very interesting line. They say unless they have engaged in coercion, force, fraud, or there was lack of free and informed decision making on the part of the child or person for whom they were caring. So let me translate that. They were saying None of these people can be held criminally liable for assisting a person or a child or a minor in like chopping their genitals off or getting cross-sex, puberty, hormone blockers, or killing their baby unless there was fraud, coercion, or they say a lack of free and informed decision-making. A lack of free and informed decision-making on the part of the child or person for whom they were caring. What are they talking about? They're talking about informed consent. Do you understand that? That if you don't have all the information about like a surgical procedure you're undergoing, this is like when you go in for an operation or whatever, like they give you all of the risks. They tell you like anything involved in the, in how the how the surgery is going to work, what are the benefits, what are the risks, what's the likelihood of success. They give you everything. That's why they sneak in those like rapid speaking uh. uh things at the ends of ads, you know, like, <laughs> or like medication on TV may cause, you know, heartache or hernias or death. And they just squeeze it all in because that you have to have that information in order to be to have informed consent, or you can sue for not having all the information before you made a decision. Okay, this is just basic, like, medicinal medicine, healthcare, you know, practice and morality. So the interesting thing about their admission here is that the abortion industry has always denied women all of the information and decision making for the abortion in question. This is why when Republicans have tried to uh, pass legislation at different states in America, and they'll say, uh, okay, before the abortion, the woman has to be told all of the risks regarding an abortion or be shown an ultrasound and explained the development of her baby and the heart beating and and the stage of development that that baby's at. And the abortion industry and the ACLU and the entire Democrat party has always trodden out a lawsuit to prevent such informed consent being given to the women. And of course they claim it's like fake science and it's not true and it's manufactured Republican talking points. But it's very interesting that the UN talks about that they're willing to allow for criminal liability if they, there wasn't free and informed decision making, But which is just so ironic, given that the UN, the, I don't know, the American Medical Association, the, uh, the uh, OBGYNs, um, the ACOG, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, the CDC, the FDA, I have all for decades said that there's no risk to a woman in getting an abortion. In fact, they've gone so far as to say that abortion is safer for the mother than childbirth, meaning like it's more dangerous for you to give birth to your child naturally, mom, than to take poison pills or shove a suction vacuum catheter tube up your birth canal while the doctor tries very hard not to rip through your uterine lining, which is like wet tissue causing you to hemorrhage while they tear your baby apart. So you have the blood of your baby in their limbs, uh, pouring out into your uterus after the amniotic sac is punctured. They want you to believe that that's safer for your health, mother, than giving birth naturally to your child. So like this is what this leviathan and liberal establishment has already has always said. So l- let me just quickly like debunk all this for you get, because <laughs> these follow the science uh, unelected unaccountable bureaucrats that seem to govern us. Um, are very good at twisting themselves into linguistic and rhetorical pretzels to make the truth very hard to get at and establish. And so I have done the research for your benefit to kind of just give you the truth bombs here about, like, how evil and, like, and actually, like, intentional – these people are at their agenda so let's talk about a lack of free and informed decision making on the part of the abortion industry and the leviathan that mainstreams their lives and the information they have intentionally hid from you as americans and as women regarding the risks surrounding what they call reproductive health care abortions right it has been documented for decades that there is an overwhelming established link between abortion and future mental health problems for the mother abortion and preterm labor in subsequent pregnancies for the mother and abortion and breast cancer in the future there is a established overwhelming link between having an abortion and those three issues that being mental health preterm labor and breast cancer now our women told this in america No, not only are they not told this, the abortion industry or abortion providers are not required. They're not required to tell women this. Now, obviously, I never make my arguments against abortion based off of the negative consequences for the mother. That would be a very stupid argument to lead with, right? It's like saying, it would be like saying, uh, you know, slavery, you know, uh, it's really bad because um, the plantation owner might regret it. In fact, like, that would be a very stupid argument, right? No, no, abortion, slavery is wrong because that's a human being. You don't get to treat human beings like cattle. Uh, abortion's wrong because that's a human being. That's a baby. That's a person, okay, whose life began at the moment of conception. There's no magical line or, or fetus fairy that's sprinkling magical personhood conferring fairy dust on the baby so it suddenly becomes a person. at some gestational marker. No, it's a human, okay? It's a person. It's a baby. It's wrong to kill them because they have human rights, because they have a right to life because they're human beings. But it is wrong worth pointing out, not not as an argument against abortion, but it is worth pointing out the damage that abortion has done to public health and to women. Why? Because if we can awaken the moral intuitions of the squishy middle people, right, those that straddle the fence, um, those who are not like the Nancy Pelosi grandmothers of abortion, who want like infanticide and abortion through point of birth, but they're also not pro life in the sense that like they they probably want to keep abortion legal in the first trimester. By the way, that makes up most Americans. Okay, the, the plurality of Americans are somewhere there. They're like. Totally disgusted by the DNC's platform position on abortion, but they're probably not ready to go like march for life in DC or stand outside an abortion center and plead for the life of the child. So, if we can show them and abuse them of their narrative and belief that the abortion industry exists for women's health, we can start awakening their pro life intuitions as well. If we can show how much the abortion industry and the and really we're always talking about the entire liberal establishment, right? Who, who's fully on board with this culture of death and this slaughter of the unborn? That these people are are hate women so much that and they they love abortion so much they're willing to lie to women and withhold information. That will further damage their future health so they can make a quick buck. That not only are they willing to profit off of the lives of the unborn, they're willing to profit off of the lives of the mothers who's who they say they exist to serve. Right? Whose health care they say they exist to serve and to and to uplift. In fact, they're 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 resorting to a full-on assault and war against public health and the very women and mothers that they say their industry exists to love and support. If we can show people how, how much the abortion industry has lied to pregnant women in order to profit off of the lives of, the, of their unborn children, we can start getting people uncomfortable with the larger narrative. If we can show that those who murder the unborn have no problem with lying and those who will murder the unborn will also lie to murder the unborn, then we can start getting them to see they've been lied to. They've been duped. And, and and they will start moving towards the pro-life position. Okay, so that's why this is important. So, so what is the true information? Because the UN here is talking about, well, okay, no one can be criminally liable unless there was malfeasance, unless there was lying, unless there was fraud, unless there was force, unless there was a lack of free and informed decision-making. And I'm going to contend with what I'm about to tell you over the next five minutes That there has always been a lack of free and informed decision making when it comes to abortion, certainly in America. And probably around the world, thanks to people like the UN and the International Planned Parenthood Federation, which is really a conglomerate of like 130 plus different NGOs from all around the world that participate in architecting the culture of death internationally. They have always lied about the risk of abortion to women because they know, like you're going to know in just one minute here, that if women knew this information, even the bra burning purple haired UC Berkeley graduate feminist would pause. And reconsider her decision to kill her child if she knew this information. But we here at Unaborted and our in-house OBGYN, Dr. Brett Bowles, have worked very hard to compile and get this data to you because it is so hard to find from the public health academic bodies that are responsible to provide this true information to the public. Okay, so how do we know abortion is linked to m- mental health problems from mothers who get abortion? Between 1993, I was two years old, and 2018, there were 75 different peer-reviewed studies around the world that looked at the link between abortion and mental health. 75 different peer-reviewed studies between 93 and 2018. And 50 of them, 50 of the 75, showed an increased risk in mental health following an abortion. Okay, so that's fully two-thirds. Now, Priscilla Coleman uh, in the british journal of psychiatry has published extensively probably the most on abortion and mental health she was attacked by abortion supporters of course attempting to debunk her research um Examining the link between abortion and mental health. Why? Because they can't allow this information to get out. Luckily, the the British Journal of Psychiatry stood strong and kept her research published. Priscilla Coleman cites 51 different references and a meta analysis. Now, a a meta analysis is, is when you compile a bunch of different studies that are looking at the same issue to increase the overall strength of the conclusions. Does that make sense? So, if you've got, you know, 50 different studies looking at the same issue, they're all finding similar findings, then you put them all together in a meta-analysis, it bolsters the the overall conclusion a lot more. Her best meta-analysis shows that having had an abortion increases your risk of mental health issues by 81%. By 81%, okay? Her having had an abortion, one abortion at some point, increases your as a woman risk of mental health in the future by 81%. Um, Have you ever heard that? No. Um, When they attacked her, did they provide um, alternative counter research that pointed out the flaws of her research? Nope, of course not. They just smeared it as fake science. Okay, so that's mental health. What about preterm labor, the link between abortion and preterm labor in in subsequent pregnancies? There have been 168, 168 studies over the last few decades that look at the association between induced abortion and preterm birth in subsequent pregnancies. The vast majority of these confirm an overwhelming association between induced abortion and preterm labor. A meta-analysis looked at 41 of these 168 studies and gave us the best representation we have of the statistical risks, okay? 41 of the 168 studies. If you have one elective abortion, your risk of delivering a premature baby between 32 and 37 weeks is increased by 36%, okay? If you have one elective abortion, your risk of delivering a baby between 32 weeks and 37 weeks is increased overall by 36%. But your risk of delivering a baby that is extremely premature, that would be less than 32 weeks, is increased by 64%. One elective abortion increases your risk of a baby born before 32 weeks by 64%, okay? So when you when you see these critically ill preemies right around the country that spend weeks or months in the NICU with tremendous increases in the risk of cerebral palsy and chronic long term disability and huge, enormous expenses, a lot of those are linked to induced abortions. Okay, if you have had multiple abortions, multiple abortions, your risk of preterm delivery and subsequent pregnancies rises overall by 93%, 93%. So if you listening to this or know someone who has had two abortions or more, the likelihood that they'll have a very premature baby when they choose to finally give birth and life to a child rises by 93%. Now, how many women who get abortions plan to or would like to not kill a baby in the future. <laughs> choose to allow baby to be born and, and accept their role as mother. Of course, abortion doesn't make you um, not a mother. It makes you a mother to a dead child. But when they choose to embrace motherhood in future pregnancies, that's probably a lot of women, right? Most women I talk to, I don't have the data for you, but it's, it's because it wasn't good timing, right? They weren't financially prepared. Maybe the boyfriend wasn't supportive. Maybe they were too young. Uh, maybe they just felt like they weren't ready, but they'd like to have that possibility open to them in the future. What if every woman obtaining or contemplating an abortion was told, yeah, if you have one abortion, uh, 64% chance that your, your future babies will be born before 32 weeks. Oh, you, you had two abortions, 93% chance that you'll deliver preterm babies. This, this, this is medical and statistical malfeasance of the highest order those who murder the unborn guess what don't really have a problem harming health i know that's a shocker those who murder people generally don't have a problem harming people i know that's a doozy it's like a man bites dog story now the population attributable risk factor so the population attributable risk factor refers to like okay if you have a percentage of people um, who have depression the question is um how many of those people who have depression have an abortion as the only risk factor that led to depression. Does that make sense? Because some people might have like an abortion, divorce, they lost a spouse, like various issues that might lead to depression. The population attributable risk is to, is to say, okay, how many people who are having depression only have an abortion as a prior risk factor, meaning they had no other risk factors that would lead to depression except that abortion. Does that make sense? So the population attributable risk factor of preterm birth found that 31% of the babies that are in the NICU, 31% of the babies that are in the NICU um, with their mother having had no other risk factor for preterm delivery other than a prior abortion. Okay. So another, another way to say that is of mothers who deliver preterm babies only have a prior abortion as the only risk factor that would contribute to that preterm delivery, meaning there were no other things that she did or that were done to her that would lead to preterm delivery. It was 31% of preterm deliveries only have a prior abortion as the only risk factor. So 31% of premature babies can be contributed to abortion as the only risk factor. Is that good for public health? Is that good for tax funding? Is that good for the amount of money that, that, that individuals are spending? Do you think you'd like to know that if you're contemplating abortion, the kind of money you'll likely spend and the health risks that your future babies may endure because of the sibling that you killed five years ago? Are women told this? Of course not. Of course not. Because th- th- they cannot allow the truth to get out about the, the horror that abortion has done to public health because it would completely ruin their profit incentive. It would completely destroy the blood money that they they line their pockets with, okay? So this is the information that's being withheld. And the UN talks about, oh, but but if there's a lack of free and informed decision-making, that's really bad. And then people can be held criminally liable. Well, then let's have these people held criminally liable. No, of course not. The UN is always happy to carry water for the killing of children in the abortion industry. What about breast cancer? What about the link between abortion and breast cancer? Between 1957 and 2018, there were 76 studies around the world that were published in peer-reviewed journals that evaluated the linkage between abortion and subsequent breast cancer. 60 out of the 76. 60 out of the 76 studies showed a positive association between having had an abortion and future breast cancer. And more than half of those 60 had a statistical significance that met or exceeded the 95th percentile. Okay, Half of the 60 had a statistical significance that met or exceeded the 95th percentile. And the best study done was by Dr. Dahling. This study chose 845 women that had breast cancer. Okay, so it was was a control group of 845 women that had breast cancer. And then selected 961 age match controls. So this means like a similar age similar weight, similar ethnic background. Do you know what I mean? They're trying to get as narrow and specific as possible. They chose 961 age match controls for women who did not have breast cancer. So 961 other women who lined up almost to the T with the 845 women that did have cancer, but the 961 women did not have cancer, and then they compared. They looked at the histories of both of those groups to examine what risk factors they had and what risk factors they did not have. Here was the results from Dr. Dolling's study. With one abortion in your past, one, your risk of being diagnosed with breast cancer by the age of 45 was increased by 50%. One abortion in your past and your risk of breast cancer by 45 was increased by 50%. If you have an abortion prior to the age of 18, prior to the age of 18, okay, so minors, or after the age of 29 you have a 100% increase in your chance of breast cancer. Now, that doesn't mean a 100% chance you'll get breast cancer, right? You understand how stats work. It just means 100% increase in your overall chance of breast cancer. If you had an abortion while you were a teenager and you also had family history of breast cancer, you're basically guaranteed to get breast cancer. 12 out of the 845 women 12 of the 845 women who had breast cancer had received an abortion as a teenager. You following that? 12 of those 845 had received abortions as teenagers and also had a family history of breast cancer. All of them, all 12 of them had gotten breast cancer by the age of 45. Okay? Look at that. Ever heard that before? Ever seen a CNN Chiron or headline about that? Ever heard that from the NIAID or the FDA or the CDC or the World Health Organization or the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists or the United Nations? Of course you haven't. They're lying to you. They have been for a long time because they know damn well, like you and I do, that if that information got out to the American public, there would be international outrage, especially in America, with pissed-off pink-haired, pulper held feminists who are all about, you know, eating the shrooms and being gluten-free and staying away from sugar and not eating the animals and being all natural, learning what they did to their future health because they killed their child. Isn't yeah, isn't that interesting? So when the UN talks about like, well, in in the circumstance of Information that's withheld, or if people are lied to, well, that that's a different consideration. You're right. People should be told that. It's ridiculous. Do you guys remember? Dr. Brent Bowles has brought this up before. Do you guys remember in 2003 there was a study called the Women's Health Initiative that looked at the risk of postmenopausal hormone replacement? You guys remember this? Postmenopausal hormone replacement and its risk of causing cancer. This was in 2003. This study found that the risk of breast cancer would be increased by eight cases, eight cases per 10,000 women per year. That's it. Breast cancer would be increased due to postmenopausal hormone replacement. By eight cases per 10,000 women per year. But this tiny increase, and I'm not saying it's its not worth talking about. I'm just saying this tiny increase and in study caused a national panic. OBGYNs at the time were being, were being inundated by calls from all of the women that they serve demanding to know the, 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 the truth, the risk to come in for an appointment. They were pissed off. They felt like they had been lied to. Women after menopause, taking post menopausal hormone replacement, freaking out about the risk of, of, uh, of breast cancer. Okay. So, what do you think an objective media would do if they heard the numbers we just went through regarding breast cancer? An objective media would cause a national panic and outrage that makes the Women's Health Initiative study look like child's play. There would be riots and protests of pro choice women, pro choice women, outside every Planned Parenthood in America. Well, that's the information that you've been being denied, okay? So what's the summary here? The the summary from the United Nations, remember the United Nations March 2023 report, talking about removing any criminalization of pr- obtaining an abortion, okay? Obtaining gender-affirming health care and ensuring that anyone that kills a baby or helps a woman obtain an abortion is not criminally liable unless unless <laughs> um there was information withheld so there wasn't free and informed decision making the the summary is that mothers healthcare providers or anyone enabling abortion shouldn't be held criminally liable. Parents, guardians, or other persons can enable children to get an abortion and not be held criminally liable. In other words, open season on unborn babies once again. Okay, now let's get to um, principle 16 here in just a second. But just to highlight this, so you're you're aware that that the UN, okay, is always on board with every new iteration of the culture of death, okay? (laughs) All of it. So principle 18, here's their hat tip. To all the LGBTQIA, LMNOP, my name is Legion Mafia. Sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender expression. They say criminal law may not in any way impair the so-called right to gender-affirming care. So this is coming from the international level. This is what they want to enshrine all around the world. Okay, now let's get to the weird kooky sex stuff, okay? Because as you noticed, kooky sex stuff and killing babies, they just seem to always go together. Isn't that fascinating? Principle 16 Called consensual sexual conduct is proof positive that the United Nations wants to diddle the kids. They are working to mainstream sex with minors. I hope you understand, like, people at this level, okay, when you talk about the United Nations, like, things don't just happen coincidentally, they do not happen accidentally. These people are very well educated, they're very smart. I mean, they're stupid with their ideas, right? But they're smart. They're highly educated. They, they're they crafting their language intentionally. This stuff happens on purpose, okay? So, so here's what they say in their principle 16 from March 2023. They say, with respect to the enforcement of criminal law, any prescribed minimum age of consent to sex must be applied in a non-discriminatory manner. Enforcement may not be linked to the sex gender of participants or age of consent to marriage. Moreover, sexual conduct, here it is, listen. Sexual conduct involving persons below the domestically prescribed minimum age of consent to sex may be consensual, in fact, if not in law. (laughs) Sexual conduct involving persons below the domestically prescribed age of consent may actually be consensual, in fact, if not in law. So they're saying, yeah, I mean, the law might not acknowledge... (laughs) (laughs) that a 15-year-old having sex with an adult is consensual. But it may be consensual, in fact, even though it's not acknowledged so in law. They continue and say, in this context, the enforcement of criminal law should reflect the rights—remember, they always use the language of rights to get what they really want— should reflect the rights and capacity of persons under 18 to make decisions about engaging in consensual sexual conduct and their right to be heard in matters concerning them, pursuant to their evolving capacities and progressive autonomy. Listen to those phrases. Pursuant to their evolving capacities and progressive autonomy, persons under the 18 years of age should participate in decisions affecting them with due regard to their age, maturity, and best interests, and with specific attention to non-discrimination guarantees. Meaning they shouldn't be discriminated against or punished or told they're not allowed to screw around and have sex with people who are 50 years old because it may be consensual, in fact, if not in law. Now, listen, I, we all understand that, like, if you're 17, 12 hours before your 18th birthday, okay, and you have sex, like, we understand that's like, okay, like, I, I mean, what could, what does 12 hours really mean in determining the morality or non morality of a sexual act? I mean, obviously, morally speaking, we're all held accountable to the moral law, um, which comes from God and you shouldn't be having sex outside of marriage. But I mean, it's not our our law obviously doesn't go around like rounding up 18 year olds and throwing them in prison if they're having sex. So like from a legal we allow this stuff. okay? but what I'm saying is like, even though we can acknowledge that like a 12 hour difference from your 17 year old to your 18 year old birthday Probably nothing crazy happened in your mental faculties being able to consent or not consent over 12 hours. But but what's my point? There still has to be a line. Like there has to be an age of consent. Why? Because if they're not, then you can just do anything, right? Like it's very important to pick an age of consent <laughs> because we know that children don't have all the mental faculties developed yet to be able to make sense of the intensity and, and, formative nature of sexual acts, right? Sex is so fundamental to who we are as human beings. Now, I don't believe what the kooky, weird sexual revolutionaries believe that we're sexual beings, and we'll get to that in just one second. We're not sexual beings. We're not like animals. But sex is obviously a powerful aspect of who we are as human beings. This is why the left understands this, right? If they can incite minors to a sexual frenzy, they're easier to control. Right. And if you can ruin a child's innocence when they're still impressionable and they don't understand that they're being used as sort of tools in a larger sexual experiment and revolution, um, then you can control the future much better. Right. When you debase people to their most animalistic kind of sexual appetites, they're easier to control. Sex is such a powerful aspect of human nature. And, and, be, and because it causes chaos, okay, then it's very important to protect children, one, from their own urges, right? But secondly, from being groomed, from being sexualized, from being abused and, and from from normalizing sexual things so that children are more likely or easier to be groomed into, the sex industry, into sex trafficking, okay, into pornography, into incest, into pedophilia, right, that children don't understand what's happening to them. So if you don't pick a line, if you don't set a age of consent, then everything is allowed, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and and children can just have sex whenever they want. So even though people, because they always criticize the line of consent, they say, well, what's the difference between 17 and 24 hours before you're 18? Okay, okay, we all get what you're saying, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't have an age of consent. So they're pushing to remove anything that acknowledges that age of consent. Um, so this principle 16 is saying, if minors consent to sex, They should not be discriminated against, meaning they shouldn't be punished. Meaning the law shouldn't punish them, meaning they should be allowed to do whatever they want. Minors should have the right to sex with adults if there's consent. That's what they're saying. They're saying minors should make their own decisions about sexual conduct absent any parental or legal considerations. Now, (laughs) this is not new, okay? The, the UN has always been obsessed with sexualizing children. Okay, let's do a little history here, okay? This is, this is not new. UNESCO, have you ever heard of UNESCO? That's the United Nations Ethical Society Cultural Organization, UNESCO. UNESCO, their first uh, director uh, was Julian Huxley. Julian Huxley was a member of the American Humanist Association. Um, was into all the weird kooky sex stuff. He was a one-world government uh, advocate. He was a communist socialist, okay? Julian Huxley, if if the Huxley name rings a bell to you, um, his brother was Aldous Huxley, who wrote Brave New World. Yeah, a lot of weird sex stuff in that book, too. Their grandfather was Thomas Huxley, who was one of Darwin's first adherents to um, Darwinism and... The Origin of Species and Evolution, and Grandpapa Huxley did so much to advance Darwinism that he was nicknamed uh, "Darwin's Bulldog." Darwin's Bulldog. Okay, so the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Julian Huxley, the first Director General of UNESCO, that's the United Nations, United Nations Ethical Society Cultural Organization, um, was 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 uh, was promulgating and suggesting sex ed as early as the as the third grade um in dc in 1945 um with three lectures that g brock chisholm the director of the world health organization why is it always the unaccountable unelected federal agencies pushing all the weird crap right g brock chisholm the first director of who the world health organization partnering with julian huxley at unesco to give three lectures in dc in 1945 um, advocating for sex ed as, as early as the third grade. Okay, so like my point is, is that like this goes back a long ways. Okay, and when we mean sex ed, we don't mean like the birds and the bees. We mean the radical kooky CSE, comprehensive sexuality education that Planned Parenthood has been architecting for decades. Okay, now remember the, the UN is the precursor to all the weird sex, sex stuff for kids. And UNESCO began incorporating sex education in the schools. In the inner cities as early as 1958. And then um, a the beginning of what is the weird kooky sex ed that's bringing all the mama bears and papa bears to school board meetings right now, the last two and a half years around the country. The, the leading event that led to the launching of SICUS, SICUS being the Sexuality Information Education Council of the United States, okay? You need to go back to our four-part series on unaborted, okay? called The Mom Who Exposed the Sexual Revolutionary Cabal in 1976. And we talk about who, what Seekus is and how all roads lead to Seekus. Really all roads lead to Alfred Kinsey, but all roads lead to Seekus when you're talking about why is anal sex in the abstinence section in my kid's sex ed at his junior high school? Like why are they showing gay porn cartoons in sex ed books? Like all this stuff you're hearing about, it's real, okay? And Seekus is kind of the first organization put together for the direct purpose of writing and promulgating and selling this curriculum into America's public schools. But the UN is the precursor to the launching of SICUS, which was started by Planned Parenthood's medical director, Mary Calderon, in 1964. Yeah, Planned Parenthood's medical director leaves in 64 to found SICUS with seed money from Hugh Hefner. Okay, so- there was an UNESCO, remember Julian Huxley, United Nations Ethical Society Cultural Organization. There was an UNESCO-sponsored international symposium on health education and sex education held in Hamburg, Germany in February 1964. Okay, international symposium hosted by the United Nations, right? Back to the UN. They want to diddle the kids, I'm telling you. Um, and it was attended by educators from all parts of the world, okay? Um, Brigitte Linner um, who was the author of this weird book called Sex and Society in Sweden, was on the ground reporting in 1964 at this UN conference. And she verified that the sex education proposal that was offered at this international symposium on sex education, the, the, the sex ed proposal put forth by the Swedes was accepted by a majority of the delegates at this international kooky sex ed Symposium hosted by the United Nations. That Swedish program for sex ed becomes a carbon copy of the SICUS proposal in their founding in 1964. Because Mary Calderon, Planned Parenthood's medical director, was at that symposium that the United Nations hosted. I'm, what I'm saying to you is like all roads lead to the United Nations and SICUS. Like they've been behind this stuff for decades, architecting this stuff. Planned Parenthood's medical director goes a copy-paste of the Swedish proposal for sex ed, and it becomes the blueprint for the Sexuality Information Education Council of the United States. Today, Seekus is called Seekus Sex Ed for Social Change. Go Google it. Go fact-check me. They literally call themselves today SICUS Sex Ed for Social Change. They're just telling you we're using sex ed to change the social fabric of America, okay? And that program talked about Genitals, masturbation, abortion, birth control, venereal disease, sexual deviations—the whole thing that we're dealing with today. Okay, now thanks to the warrior named Judith Reisman, we know more about the kooky sex stuff and the history of UNESCO and SICUS and IPPF, International Planned Parenthood Federation. Um, And Alfred Kinsey and diddling the kids and calling children sexual beings. Like the whole demonic sexual cabal. We know so much about this today. Due in large part to Judith Reisman, who passed away a few years ago. Judith Reisman of the Reisman Institute. You should read everything she writes. Who devoted her life to debunking the legacy and the fraudulent science. Science. Science behind Sex Ed, Seekus, and Alfred Kinsey, okay? So Judith Reisman became involved in trying to discredit Kinsey and abolished Planned Parenthood in 1974 because her children came home from school with a Planned Parenthood pamphlet called You Have Changed the Combination. And here's what Judith Reisman said, okay? This is where she starts realizing what's going on and and, and showing you how far this stuff goes back. She says, my daughter wasn't supposed to show it to her parents, but she brought it home and wanted me to look at it. It had images that were Playboy type. Women, remember, this is 1974, guys. Okay, this is... (laughs) This is sex ed pamphlets to elementary school students in 1974. Okay. Uh, It had Playboy type women with huge bosoms and the male was about half the size of the female with no phallus. The pamphlet said that there were girls who chose the business of prostitution and selling their bodies and not to lie to yourself if if you have paid for it. Then it said, if you want a virgin to marry, buy one it said there are girls who have freely chosen that business too and then it concluded she said that marriage is the price you pay and you will get the virgin very temporarily that was planned parenthood said reesman in 74 in cleveland ohio and this was handed out to junior high school children okay so but the weird obsession with with kids and the sex stuff really starts with alfred kinsey who is the sexual prophet and priest behind SICUS, UNESCO, and the pedophilic frenzy gripping the radical left right now in the United Nations. So like, just a quick primer on Kinsey. If you've been listening to the podcast a while, you know probably quite a bit about Alfred Kinsey from our four-part series with Claire Chambers and Audrey Werner. Called The Mom Who Exposed the Sexual Revolutionary Cabal in 1976. You need to go listen to it. But just a quick primer on Kinsey if you're tuning in or you forgot, because remember, like, Kinsey is the sexual intellectual prophet of leftism today and of the entire sexual revolution. In fact, he's been dubbed the father of the sexual revolution. So if you wanna know, like, why is the United Nations, like, wanting to lower the age of consent and calling 10 year olds adolescents and saying that they can make their own decisions about having sex with adults? then you actually have to understand Kinsey. And that's why Judith Reisman spent her entire life trying to debunk Kinsey, because he is who started all of this weird stuff. And he gave the pedophiles and the sexual revolutionaries the academic rigor and the fake science to justify their demonic uh, diddle the kids urges, okay? He provided evil its long-sought scientific justification. So Kinsey's first book in 1948 was called Sexual Behavior in the, Human, in the Human Male. And his second book in 1953 was called Sexual Behavior in the Human Female. And this, this was the first, like, quote-unquote, science to claim that children could be sexually autonomous. That's where this begins. As Judith Reisman points out, Kinsey claimed to have interviewed 18,000 to 21,000 Americans. during World War II. And so Kinsey and his handpicked team of handsome, young, healthy, draft-dodging male lovers created data claiming that the greatest generation of Americans were sexual and moral hypocrites, right? Because, Because who is around with Kinsey coming up with this fake science? Men who dodged the draft, right? The least brave amongst us having sex with one another and having orgies. And I'm not joking, by the way, like Kinsey would have orgies and he would film all this stuff with men he was working with, okay? So according to Kinsey, who was a closet bi-homosexual pornography and masturbation addict, claimed that while posing as a puritanical Judeo-Christian culture, the members of the greatest generation were really sexually licentious wantons. And with support from the Rockefeller Foundation and Indiana University, Kinsey said that he proved adultery, masturbation, abortion, and adult sex with children were common and not only harmless but actually helpful to children. That's his claim. That's his premise. That's the, ide- the ideology and ideas he operated off of to build the Kinsey Institute or the Institute for Sex Research at the time at Indiana University, okay? Now, Kinsey's establishment, the Institute for Sex Research, of course, had close ties with SICUS. Remember, started by Mary Calderon after she attended the, the United Nations hosted symposium on sex education in Hamburg, Germany in 1964. Of course, Kinsey provides the weird sex science that bolsters and justifies the work of SICUS in, in writing the sex ed curriculum that gets put into American public schools all around the country. Now, one of Kinsey's uh, board members and directors was named Wardell Pomeroy and was one of Kinsey's chief investigators. So he was a board member, a director, and a chief investigator, and later took over the Kinsey Institute after Alfred Kinsey died. He became the executive director of the Kinsey Institute, okay? Uh, uh, Wardell Pomeroy defended incest, okay, and and pedophilia, okay? We'll get to him in just one second. Um, but my point is, he's a SICUS director. Okay, so there's already a, a link between the Kinsey Institute and SICUS. John Gagnon was a SICUS official and trustee um, of the Kinsey Institute. And there was a link between the two organizations and in information requests set up between SICUS and the Institute for Sex Research. Now, Wardell Pomeroy was Kinsey's co-author and part-time lover, part-time gay lover. Um, who scientifically reinforced scientifically reinforced the benefits of incest and adult sex with children. In an article he wrote, listen to this, Wardell Pomeroy, who took over Kinsey's, Institute for Sex Research, was his gay lover and chief investigator at the Kinsey Institute and board member of SICUS with Mary Calderon in 1964, wrote an article in the Penthouse Forum in 1977 entitled A New Look at Incest. Yeah, that was the name of the article, A New Look at Incest, okay? And in this article, he says, quote, incest can be a satisfying, non-threatening, and even an enriching emotional experience. He says, we find many beautiful and mutually satisfying healthy relationships between fathers and daughters. These may be transient or ongoing, but they have no harmful effects. This is the pornographer, demoniac pedophile, Wardell Pomeroy, Kinsey's gay lover, who's the chief investigative um, researcher for the Kinsey Institute and the first board member of SICUS that Mary Calderon, Planned Parenthood's... Uh, medical director started with seed money from Hugh Hefner, who called himself Kinsey's prophet and Kinsey's pamphleteer. Yeah, that's why, by the way, the Playboy bunny is wearing a bow tie because H- Kinsey was Hefner's mentor and Kinsey always wore a bow tie. In every photo you'll see of Alfred Kinsey, it's Hugh Hefner and Playboy's hat tip to the pedophile, sexual, deviant, homosexual, hosting orgies, father of the sexual revolution, Alfred Kinsey, who died from, do you know how, by the way, I don't know if I've said this on the podcast before. Do you know how Alfred Kinsey died from masturbating too much? I'm not joking. He died. I'm forgetting the, the technical term. We'll, we'll pull it up later. He died from masturbating too much. Okay. <laughs> Poetic justice. Can you say irony? Okay, so that's just a little bit behind Kinsey and Wardell Pomeroy and exactly where this comes from. I'm trying to tell you where this comes from. Like, why would the UN try to lower the age of consent and say children can consent to sex? It goes back to Kinsey. That's who mainstreamed these ideas and gave them the veneer of scientific credibility. Now, <laughs> Mary Calderone, who started Seekus with seed money from Hugh Hefner, also a fan of Kinsey referring to Kinsey's research, Mary Calderon said, professionals who study children have affirmed the strong sexuality of the newborn. Yeah, the strong sexuality of the newborn. Who talks like that? Pedophiles talk like that. And in a book written for parents, Mary Calderon said, quote, children are sexual and think sexual thoughts and do sexual things. Children do sexual things? Why are you so obsessed with the sexuality of children? Now, throughout Sikhist literature, we find this weird term, sexual being, used to describe man. I've read some of the Sikhist study guides in early literature they produce in 64, 65, 66, 67. They don't say children or person. They always use this term sexual being because that's how they view human beings, as sexual beings. And in 1968, Sikis published a general information pamphlet about themselves. Here's what they said, the need to understand oneself as a sexual being, that all children are born and grow up as sexual beings. And then Lester Kirkendall, another SICUS director and member of the American Humanist Association and Planned Parenthood board member of Oregon and editor of the Sexology magazine, which was the magazine of the American Humanist Association, said in the study guide number one that is published in 1969, he said, once and for all, adults must accept as fact that young people of all ages are sexual beings with sexual needs. Did you just hear me, 1969, 1969, a SICUS founding director, Lester Kirkendall, said children have sexual needs. Within five years of Seekus's founding, following the United Nations-hosted international symposium on sex ed in 1964 in Hamburg, Germany, SICUS was publicly writing and admitting that they believe children to be sexual beings who have sexual needs. That is all you need to know to dismiss the entire organization and movement as a pedophilic enterprise. But we're hearing this all the time now, whether it's from the United Nations, the International Planned Parenthood Federation, UNESCO, or sex ed educators all around the country. We keep hearing this about the sexual nature of children. The executive director of Planned Parenthood Center for Sex Education, yes, there's a Planned Parenthood Center for Sex Education, named Bill Taverner advocated for sex education at a US congressional briefing. And his Center for Sex Education provides training materials and hosts large conferences for sex educators in the United States. Here's what Bill Taverner said in 2015. Are you ready for this? We have in our society an assumption of asexuality, of asexuality of people with intellectual disabilities. And he says, that's a myth that's perpetuated. And really, we are all sexual beings from, bet you can't guess the word, from birth. (laughs) That, That was in 2015. He's saying the same stuff that Kinsey and Wardell Pomeroy and Lester Kirkendall and Mary Calderon were saying in 1964 and 65. And then Planned Parenthood published a guide entitled Fundamentals of Teaching Sexuality. Fundamentals of Teaching Sexuality. And Planned Parenthood said, quote, sexuality is part of life through all ages and stages. It says babies, elders, and everyone in between can experience sexuality. Anyone who's talking to you about babies experiencing sexuality should be thrown in prison. Amen. Could I be any more clear? Let me give you one more, just to drive the point home. Al Vernaccio is a sex educator for kids age 3 to 18. 3 to 18 at Friends Central School in Pennsylvania. We have a video here we're going to show you of Al Vernaccio, a sex educator, talking about kids as sexual beings just last year, just to prove to you exactly how evil and pedophilic and long this Agenda and belief has been being planted in the soil of the country, and 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 we are reaching a pinnacle and peak of this ideology in America. We are reaching the point where where either we are going to have a generation of young people having sex and destroying their innocence, or parents are going to finally have had enough, and we're going to be flirting with civil war because a lot of this kooky porn. Porn sex ed is mandated in health education courses in public schools with no parental opt out option. That's where this stuff is going. All right, here's Al Vernaccio.
1: My school, I'm responsible for the sexuality education of all of our students, from our youngest students who are three years old in nursery school up through our 12th graders who are turning 18 and getting ready to leave high school. That's a huge range, but every single one of those kids is a sexual being. They have been since birth. And at every age and stage, we can offer them age-appropriate, transformative sexuality education. I'm only a small part of the village that supports them as they grow. It's not enough that I teach them. We have to teach them. Part of my message today is that we all, no matter what else we do in life, need to find a way to be sexuality educators for the kids in our lives. If we don't step up, others will. And many of those others don't see wholeness and freedom the way we do. One of the things we can celebrate today is how young people have so many more options to consider than simply whether they feel like a boy or a girl, or whether they identify as gay, straight, or bisexual. Our understandings of both gender and orientation have greatly expanded in our culture. And there's an ever-increasing list of labels one can use to describe oneself. To me, this is a great benefit because it allows people, especially young people, to find a more precise way to describe their own experience. What it's also brought about is greater latitude in experimenting with different identities. It's not uncommon today for young people to try out different labels and different pronouns and different relationships in search of their truth.
0: All right. I hope you see this. I I don't know how much to exactly say about that, guys, but this guy should be thrown in prison. This guy is a pedophile. And if not a pedophile, he's Uh, he has pedophilic leanings and it's probably consuming child pornography. Isn't that pretty obvious at this point? Like this guy says every single one of these kids, what he's talking about three-year-olds and four-year-olds that he's entrusted with sexual education with is a sexual being. He said, he says they have been so since birth and at every age and stage. And then he, he he gives, of course, the hat tip to all the trans stuff, right? There's so many more options as just being a boy or girl, he says, and an ever increasing labels of how they can describe themselves and experimenting with different identities to try out different identities. Let me just let me be very clear here: if you're talking about transgender children, that's what he's talking about. Do you understand that? Let me be very clear: he's talking about he's talking about he says he says it at the beginning. He says three to eighteen year olds. Three, he's I I told you he's an educator for kids, three to eight at Friends Central School in Pennsylvania. And he says he's entrusted with their sex ed. And then he says these children have so many more options than just a boy or a girl. And it's exciting that they have so many different labels how they can describe themselves. He's referring to children who identify as the opposite sex. Do you understand that? He's talking about trans kids or whatever, whatever new phrase they're using. If you're talking about trans kids, let me just say you are a pedophile and you need to be removed from children. If you're talking about trans kids, what you're doing is you're projecting a sexual identity onto children because children cannot make sense of sexual identities. And when they're when they're saying I'm not a girl, I'm a boy, that that gender identity they call it, that that's a sexual identity. You have to have gone through puberty and have an understanding of sexuality and what it means as part of our human nature in order to make sense of the distinctness between boys and girls, men and women. So if you're talking about trans kids, you are projecting a sexual identity onto children. Therefore, you're a pedophile and should be removed from polite society. That's what he's talking about. Now, just to take this point home, I want to show you a quick picture here for just a few seconds because you can't make this stuff up. Now, listen, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, although the difference between a conspiracy theory and the truth today seems to be about six to nine months. So I guess kind of we're all conspiracy theorist now, but here's a picture of Alvernaccio who's, who's, who's popular for this Ted talk video on sex called sex needs a new metaphor. Okay. Now look at this picture. It says here he is. He said, and it says, I love pizza. I'm not joking. He recommends in this Ted talk video, that we get rid of the, I guess, apparently popular baseball metaphor for sex. And he proposes the pizza model to discuss sex, to make sense of sexual satisfaction between various partners. I watched a part of the TED Talk video. I won't make you suffer through that. And he proposes the model of pizza to discuss sex. And he's a sex educator for three and four-year-olds. And he's standing in front of a lectern with a bumper sticker that says, I love pizza. Listen, I don't know if you know about the whole pizza thing, Okay, it's been called a conspiracy theorist and kind of a code word to refer to like an international child sex ring. Okay, I'm not going to get into all that. I'm just saying, why would you pick that metaphor, you freaking weirdo? Why would you pick that metaphor when you're already obsessed with the sexual identity of children and you know that it's a code word that some conspiracy thinks, theorists think refer to a child international sex ring of political elites? Okay, I'm, j- I'm just going to say that. I'm just going to say that's weird. Now, why do they do this? Listen to this. One of Sikis' <laughs> – don't you love it when the left gives it away when they tell you exactly what they're all about? And I do this research for you so you, you so we can warn you, okay? So you can get awakened and engaged in the resistance. There's a sex educator and Sikis board member named Isidore Rubin, who has been identified as a communist, by the way, um, who wrote a book called The Sex Educator and Moral Values for Sikis. Isidore Rubin, Okay. And he, he talks about, quote, the right of the individual to engage in any forms of sex behavior. Notice the, the, the use of the word individual, by the way, right? They don't use the word adult or child. They just use the word individual, just like they use the phrase sexual being. That's how they view people. Uh, Isidore Rubin advised that teachers, um, uh, that they describe all of the sex practices in the classroom as objectively and scientifically as possible, whether or not the results conformed to the official mores or to a particular social code. What are they saying? They're saying sex ed for social change. That's the name of Sikis today. Sikis, sex ed for social change. Whether the amores or social code allow that or think that's acceptable, you need to describe all of the—this is what it says. All sex practices would be described in the classroom. That comes from communist and Sikis board member Isidore Rubin. Now, why do they do this? He gives it away right here. Listen to this. Isidore Rubin quotes another author who writes for Seekus. Remember, Seekus is started by Planned Parenthood's medical director in 1964 and is behind all the weird kooky sex ed today. One of Seekus' recommended authors on sex ed is named Judson Landis. Judson Landis, who gives it all away about why they do what they do. Listen to this. He says, when acts are no longer forbidden to all, when acts are no longer forbidden... When the individual is authorized to decide whether violation will be advantageous, the moral code vanishes. He's saying when the individual can decide to do whatever the hell they want and whether violation of the moral code is advantageous or not, then, quote, the moral code vanishes. The moral code vanishes. Might makes right. Do as thou wilt which is how Aleister Crowley, the most renowned Satanist of the 20th century, summed up the law and religion of Satanism, do as thou wilt. So um, beware, beware of these people. My friend Dr. George Grant calls them logogogs and lexographic molesters. So logogogs, word tyrants, and lexographic molesters, those who rape and molest words, To to invent the lexicon of leftism and to euphemize their agenda through the lens of political correctness. In September of 2011, uh, some of you might remember this, UNESCO, remember the United Nations Ethical Society Cultural Organization, was in hot water for their new guidelines on sexuality education for promoting legal abortion and masturbation for children as young as five. That's how far this goes back. Masturbation for children as young as five. The guidelines from UNESCO, United Nations again, see, see how it always goes back to United Nations? In September of 2011, said, quote, there are no rights or wrongs for sexual conduct. And the SICUS, whose staff helped author the United Nations guidelines, have claimed that newborns are capable of, quote, genital pleasure and can engage in, quote, sex play by age three. Once again, United Nations and SICUS pushing all of this stuff. Now, you might have heard of the, the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child. Uh, Their language, the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child language, have potentially anti-family and pedophile-protecting language all over them. As Judith Reisman points out, As some child protection specialists have observed, the following articles of the Convention on the Rights of the Child leave children free to be unprotected and profitably violated by international pedophiles and sex traffickers. Here is Article 1 of the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child. Here's Article 1. The convention defines a child as a person below the age of 18, unless the laws of a particular country set the legal age for adulthood younger. Let me say that again. Unless the laws of a particular country set the legal age for adulthood younger. But as Judith Reisman points out, 16 is the age of consent in most countries, with some setting the age of consent at 13. So under the interpretation of Article 1 of the convention, millions of children as young as 13 can be classified as adults and trafficked for sexual use. And since prostitution is largely legal worldwide, Article 1 would legitimize the marketing of prostitution and pornography of children as young and sometimes younger than 13. In addition, these United Nations guidelines lump children as young as 10 into a 10 through 24-year-old age bracket identified as, quote, youth with sexual rights. So adults will arguably have rights to have sex with these, quote, young persons with the United Nations defines as between 10 and 24 years old. (laughs) Yeah, the United Nations wants to diddle the kids. Article 17 of the Convention for the Rights of the Child says regarding access to information and mass media, children have the right – there's that language of rights again – to get information that is important to their health and well-being. But, guys, who gets to define what their health and well-being means? Who? The Kinsey and sex educators who have long used pornographic children's books and videos as sex education materials. Often masked as AIDS prevention or safe sex instruction, so as Judith Reisman observes, behind this mask, the books and videos promote sexual rape, sexual rights for children that supersede parental rights, and based on the UNESCO and International Planned Parenthood Federation sex's health paradigm. Marketing of all forms of pornography to, by, and of children is normalized and legalized by these carefully crafted words. Beware of logogogs and lexicographic molesters. And lastly, Article 15 of the United Nations uh, Convention on the Rights of the Child. They say all children have access to freedom of association and to freedom of peaceful assembly. No restrictions will be placed on the exercise of these rights if they are legal in that society. So do you understand what this could do? This could criminalize parents who attempt to protect their children from sexual abuse. Since children are allowed to express their what? their sexual rights, freedom of expression. So if prostitution is legal in a country, and if the age of consent is 13, then the parents' rights are eliminated and replaced by that of bureaucrats and politicians who will permit children to be exposed to sexually explicit materials and vulnerable to being sexually violated by pedophiles and sex traffickers who woo and win the child's trust because they have sexual rights. So as Judith Reisman says, This pedophile child sex abuse advocacy comes in quietly within a Trojan horse called children's rights and sex education under the auspices of the United Nations and the International Planned Parenthood Federation. So guess what? UNESCO today works in partnership with SICUS and the United Nations has granted the Kinsey Institute consultative statuses at the United Nations, which they use today to advance their radical sexual agenda throughout the world, and IPPF and the In- and CICUS and the Kinsey Institute will often approach impoverished countries to promise aid on the condition that they get to run those impoverished countries' sexuality education. What kind of sexuality education? What kind of ideas? All of the ideas I've been telling you for the last 40 minutes. The United Nations wants to diddle the children. It's never been clearer. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. The only question is what will you as a Christian, a pro-lifer and a common sense realist do about it before this pedophilic child sex ring comes home to roost through mandated education for homeschoolers, through charter schools and Christian schools who aren't following the new science of sex ed that Alfred Kinsey birthed as he was interviewing pedophiles and rapists in prison and hosting orgies at the Institute for Sex Research at Indiana University. That's where all of this stuff comes from. And it's only going to get worse until you participate in resistance. If you want to get engaged with the White Rose Resistance, go to www.thewhiterose.life thewhiterose.life, and become an ally of the resistance and you'll get thrown into our our digital resistance circle of hundreds of donors across the country getting curriculum, training, and mobilization to go be the resistance in their culture and community where they live. If you want to watch this show, go subscribe to YouTube and Rumble. Give us a rating and review. We really appreciate it. Until next week, I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted.